Guru Nation, welcome to episode 423 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, I got to sit down with Yale's very own Coursera famous Introduction to Breast Cancer, one of the most popular courses on Coursera.org, Dr. Anise Chagpar. In this episode, we discussed diversity in clinical trials, specifically when it comes to minority participation in oncology studies, and we got, of course, more specific on breast cancer as well because that is one of her areas of expertise so check that out links to her youtube channel are in the show notes she has a very good youtube channel Uh, also check out if you're in the show notes the patreon patreon.com slash dancefera it's five bucks a month we teach you how to use social media to increase your business opportunities or your career opportunities. Five bucks a month, we have weekly videos. We also have a live monthly mastermind group where we all meet, everyone in the Patreon group meets up virtually. We discuss what we're working on, how we can help each other, and also hold each other accountable. So check that out, patreon.com slash Also in the show notes, check out the CRA Academy, CRC Academies, both excellent ways to get your start in the clinical research industry. Uh, and they also both train for dozens of roles, not just CRA and CRC, but those are the most popular ones. So those are the ones listed. If you need more studies for your site, or you want to start a site, text me, 949-415-6256. We have extremely low-cost options for you guys. It doesn't have to be that complicated. It's not easy, but it doesn't have to be complicated. So text me, 949-415-6256. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this episode with Dr. Anish Chagpar. Talk to you soon. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Random Musing from the Clinical Trials Guru. I've got Dr. Anise Chagpar. She is uh, probably one of the best courses. She's she's the host, the instructor of one of the best courses on Coursera, uh, Introduction to Breast Cancer. And that's how I got introduced to Dr. Chagpar. And we've done an interview in the past, uh, so go check that out. It'll probably show up if you're on YouTube. It will probably show up in the suggested videos. And if you're on the podcast, just scroll back a few episodes. You'll see it there. Just search for it. But that was a more of an in-depth look at, at Dr. Chagpar's career, uh, what she thinks about clinical research. Here's a hint. She's a huge fan. Uh, So in this episode, we're going to get more tactical and talk about patient and minority participation in clinical trials and diversity and and the lack thereof of diversity in clinical research and all clinical research, but specifically oncology. This is where Dr. Chagpar's expertise is in oncology space, and probably it's most evident in the oncology space. So let's talk a little bit about that, Dr. Chagpar, but thank you again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, You know, I, I, I think you're exactly right. It's really important that we we have diversity in terms of clinical trial accrual and participation and it's been a huge problem right um so i think we've got a few issues the first is that clinical trial period period um is really pretty low right across the board 
we don't have ever participating in clinical trials, even though we know that people who participate in clinical trials tend to do better than people who don't. So I think the first thing is how can we get more people, all people, participating in clinical trials? But the, the second issue is really how can we get um, a diverse array of people participating in clinical trials? Because as all of us know, we take that clinical trial data and then we implement practice. Um, based on the data. And, you know, the data is only as good as the people who participated in it. So it's kind of like, you know, when you talked about uh, things that were non-oncology, back in the day, I mean, decades ago, when people were first looking at heart disease and doing clinical trials in that space, uh, it was done on Caucasian men. And then we discovered years and years later that women actually were different than men. And so this is why it became really important to have women in, in clinical trials. And now, you know, the same thing applies to diversity in terms of race and ethnicity and, um, and really overcoming a lot of the barriers um, to uh, uh, minority accrual in clinical trials. It, it's interesting, you know, Dan, um, uh, on my YouTube channel, and, and we'll leave a link in the description box below, um, I actually just did an interview with a young African-American patient, 28 years old, just di was diagnosed with breast cancer two years ago. And, um, and we talked about clinical trials uh, and how she felt about uh, clinical trials um, and participating in them. And I think one of the things that is clear is that due to... I think in large part due to historical precedents that were made um, with unethical practices um, that involved African-American patients, for example, there is a real hesitation. Mm -hmm. There is a real reluctance on the part of many African-Americans to participate in clinical trials because of unethical practices that had gone on in the past. And they are all very aware of that. And and therefore very skeptical and reluctant to participate. And so, you know, I think that for your viewers who are interested in, in how really to talk to patients about clinical trials, I think that her viewpoints um, would really uh, be eye-opening. Um, so that's premiering on August 15th, and she's actually going to be there um, at noon uh, Eastern time. So if any of your viewers want to have a conversation with an African-American patient about how you can get people involved in clinical trials, that might be something really useful. But, you know, she talks about the fact that one of her good friends had told her about this whole idea that it's really important for African-Americans to enroll in clinical trials because if you don't, then how are we going to be able to treat you? Uh -huh. We're going to treat you on the basis of the data that we have, which will be primarily Caucasian, which makes a fundamental underlying assumption that all people are the same, which we don't know is true. Uh -huh. um, and so that was one of the things that she really, really talked about. But I think that there's, you know, there's a whole myriad of other factors that are involved, right? Like, I think you really need to get over uh, barriers of trust, right? Um, because ultimately, that's what it comes down to, 
is that when somebody signs up for a clinical trial, you know, everybody is thinking about, oh my God, am I going to be a human guinea pig, right? Is this human experimentation? I mean, that is really the the thing that many patients worry about. Yeah, you know, because you, you interact with far more patients than I do. I mean, I always talk about the fact that clinical research has a branding problem. And somebody asked me the other day, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, I brought up exactly what you just said. The average Joe, the average Jane, when you say clinical research, they think what immediately pops up in their head, guinea pig. And that's right. prob- that's one of the worst branding you can have uh, <laughs> for your uh, clinical research study, right, is immediately the uh, the general public thinks this is just for lab rats, just for guinea pigs, you know, so I'm a human being, why would I join this study? So that's, that's before we even get to the minority participation and diversity participation in clinical research. That, that's just at the macro level is the branding issue. You're, you're absolutely right. So what do your patients think when you ask them about research? Well, so, so I think that you need to understand exactly what you just said, which is that that is, at baseline, the perception, right? And so what do you need to do, right? You need to educate, right? Um, and in order to do that, I think that there's a few pieces that need to be in play. One is trust, especially for minority patients, right? They're, when they sign that consent form, they're trusting you, right? They're right. trusting that this study is being done ethically. They're trusting that you're actually recommending a clinical trial, not because of a conflict of interest, but because you actually think it is in their best interest. And so I think fundamental to any relationship, right, is that relationship of trust. And so I think that that comes down to the relationship that the physician has with the patient or the PI has with the patient or even the CRA has with the patient. I mean, you have to develop that relationship of trust. So I think that that's the first thing. The second thing is having an open and honest conversation about what research is Mm. um, and that it is not. human experimentation, that there really is um, this larger ethical framework that goes on, that there is a lot of oversight, that um, an acknowledgement of what has happened in the past and the terrible unethical things that have um, historically mired clinical research that thankfully do not happen anymore or should not ever happen anymore. And as everybody who listens to your podcast or watches your channel or goes to CRA Academy knows, there is just so many layers of regulation that really are in pl- in play um, to limit that. And I think educating people, educating the public, educating patients on that is really important. And then the third thing is um, to have a conversation that opens people's eyes to the fact that there are benefits to participating in clinical research, right? Um, So number one, you may get tomorrow's therapies today. Um, So right right now, we offer people standard of care, but we're always looking for what's better. And sometimes the only way that you can get what we think might be better is on a clinical trial. Number two, is because we're always comparing standard of care to what we think is better, on average, 
people who participate in clinical trials do better than people who don't. Um, I remember that from the course, from the Coursera class. Exactly. Right. And it's true. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely true. And if you think about it, it makes mathematical sense, right? Because we're never comparing to what we think is worse. That would never pass any IRB. We're always comparing to what we think is better. And then finally, I think that for a lot of patients, especially patients in oncology, there is this real altruistic drive, right? So I think appealing to that and to the concept that you may be helping other people down the line, because just think about, you know, and, and I have this conversation all the time, the, the therapies that I'm able to offer you today, the fact that you are able to have a lumpectomy today, as opposed to a radical mastectomy in, you know, 40 years ago, that is really because tens of thousands of women participated in a clinical trial that allowed us to move the field forward. And a lot of people really get that and the idea that they too can help future generations. And for minority patients, I think that that altruism extends to how can I help future minority populations get the treatment that actually is relevant to them. Right. Um, and the only way that we're going to do that is with patients' help. Um, and so I think embracing this attitude of a partnership um, and being grateful for, for patient support because we can't do what we do to help patients without patients helping us to inform our practice. And so while patients are very grateful to physicians um, for providing them care, I think it's important for them to realize that we can't do what we do without them helping us to improve what we do. Um, Because if we didn't have clinical research, we would stagnate and nothing would move forward. And nobody wants that. Right. What is, uh, I know you don't have the numbers in front of you, but oncology clinical research compared to non-oncology clinical trials uh, as far as the diversity in in oncology is there any difference like is there more diversity less diversity in oncology as opposed to just non-oncology clinical research studies yeah i don't know i don't know the comparison between oncology and non-oncology but i do know that across cancer clinical trials um, minority accrual is a really big deal and it varies it varies based on disease site it varies based on gender it varies based on region it varies based on the individual trial Um, and so um, but you know minority clinical trial accrual is something that is very important to the NCI and so all comprehensive cancer centers actually have to submit to the NCI in order for them to become comprehensive cancer centers their minority clinical trial accrual and how that matches up to their catchment area so for example if if you are a cancer center uh, that is located in a primarily Caucasian uh, catchment area, well, then one would expect that the majority of your patients are going to be Caucasian. But if you are in a catchment area that is 
primarily African-American or even has a particular percentage African-American in the population that you serve, it is expected that the percentage of patients who accrue to clinical trials um, at your hospital will be that percentage or higher. Um, and the NCI looks at that. And so I think that this is a reason why many cancer centers actually do engage in programs to help diversify clinical trial accrual. And that goes beyond simply that one-on-one -on -one conversation that you have with a patient. Certainly that's a big part of it, but it extends to things like when you design your study, and we talked in our, our last uh, interview about how things really depend on how things are designed. When you design your clinical trial, making sure that that is something that is appropriate for uh, a diverse array of patients. And mm -hmm. diversity, not just on the basis of race, but thinking about socioeconomic status too, which right. is often collinear right, with race. So if you have a trial that is going to mandate that people come back and forth to the cancer center every day, uh, that may be very difficult for some portions of the population, right? Um, I think the other thing that goes even beyond that, so you have the individual level things that you can do in terms of building trust and explaining to patients about clinical trials. You have the trial design uh, part of things in terms of making sure that your inclusion criteria are broad um, and that the trials are appropriately designed. And then the third is really all of the outreach that needs to be done, right? So getting out into the community and, and educating people. So having partnerships with local churches or um, advocacy groups or um, other networks where you can find um, minority patients and getting out there and, and spreading the word. And it really helps too if you have relationships with patients who then become your advocates mm. um, and who can partner with you in helping to dispel some of the myths um, surrounding clinical trials and can start to educate people because you're quite right. It's it, the branding issue of clinical research um, is widespread, and the only way that you can get around that is with education, right? Yeah. Uh, the only antidote to darkness is light. So, do you think that a, a good a good strategy would be, you know, if, if you're a pharma company or or a sponsor? Uh, of a study and you want to increase minority participation that you should train physicians in those communities to or empower them give them the tools they need to run their own research studies basically especially industry sponsored trials where it's much easier you don't have to create your own study you're just following a protocol that a sponsor is is giving you do you think that is one of the solutions in addition to patient advocacy uh or is there something else missing because i think that goes hand in hand with patient education right the advocacy and and the minority participate the the minority clinician participation yeah so um so there have been some data um looking at that right uh in terms of um whether uh, minority physicians actually make a difference. And the data are kind of mixed, right? Um, so certainly if you, if you have minority 
physicians who are um, you know of African American descent or uh, Latino or so on um, they may be able to um, better educate patients they may be able to understand patients better they may be able to communicate with those patients better um, and therefore may be able to improve accrual on the flip side um, there are Caucasian uh, you know old white males uh, who, um, who may be able to recruit just as well um, in terms of uh, minority participation in clinical trials. But I do think you're right that just on, just on a broad kind of um, ethical uh, egalitarian kind of viewpoint, I, I do think that it behooves us to really think about pluralism and you know, bringing together people of diverse uh, races and diverse ethnicities, diverse viewpoints, diverse backgrounds, um, because not only does that help us in terms of really understanding all of these different groups uh, for our clinical trials and potentially helping to uh, enroll patients from these different groups, um, but it, it, it's just the right thing to do. It just enhances um, what we do as as clinicians and as researchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, something that I'm working on on a daily basis, uh, trying to educate clinicians in, in the communities, not just minorities, but a lot of them happen to be minorities or at least well-respected physicians who serve minority populations you know they, they may be caucasians but they're they're well respected in their communities right just just like you said so i think it's a very very much an individual uh uh thing which would be tough to study and <laughs> and it would be difficult to actually collect some data on this because so there's so many variables there at the individual level i don't know how we can do a study on that but it just common sense to me like hey let's get more let's get more grassroots let's make the this like a grassroots initiative and get the physicians in those communities participating in clinical research because a lot of times these doctors they think of research they are there's also a branding problem for them they may not think guinea pigs but they may think you know, fancy university, I'm not that, you know, I just have, this is a mom and pop office, I can't do clinical research, and the answer is yes, you can. I mean, it's done at those kind of places much more than it's done at places like Yale and Harvard, right? Yeah, no, for sure, and I I think that um, that's really where we need need to empower everybody, right? We're all in this together, Um, and, and how do we get people regardless of where they are, whether they're in, you know, a small private practice, a big university, uh, no matter their their race, their ethnicity, their gender, their, you know, whatever, like, how, how can we all kind of think about common goals of moving the field ahead um, and really um, serving our patients? And I think that for clinicians who have an interest in research, that's really all it all you need is if you say to yourself, you know, I really I, I want to be involved in research. I want to be able to provide clinical trials to my patients. I want to be part of this movement to move the field forward. That's all you need. Right. Um, 
and and then you know as you say i mean many trials are um easily accessible right um whether uh through the ctsu uh or through pharma i mean there are a whole myriad of of trial opportunities that people can get involved with i think that um the other thing is um for those who are participating in, in clinical trials but having difficulty in accruing um, especially minority patients, I think that the other piece that is really important, when you talked about being grassroots, I think that that is so critical, right? Um, even if you're not from that community, but really being empathetic and invested in that community, like taking the time to actually listen Right. and to understand their viewpoints. Um, there are so many uh, people um, from diverse arrays of life uh, who will say to me, you know, I went to my doctor and I didn't feel like they listened. And if they don't have that relationship of trust with you, you're never going to accrue. Right. Um, whereas if because it is all about trust and, and it is about that relationship and it is about partnership and that's just fundamental um, not just for clinical research but even having a good therapeutic relationship with your doctor and your patient right having that trust with the physician at that, that point it doesn't matter what race color gender you are if there's no trust they're not going to join any study uh, and, and they could see right through that I do think if we're going to see improvements and as we wrap up I know you've got to go Dr. Chagpar uh, I do think if we do see improvements in diversity participation in clinical research I think it's likely that it will come in oncology first for a number of reasons number one unfortunately the patients there because of the nature of the illness and the disease uh, are more motivated to join studies and and look for like you said tomorrow's treatments today and the other aspect would be the fact that uh, most if not all oncology studies right they don't have placebo uh, control they're just standard of care which is not the case in most other indications, there is a placebo aspect. So it's a little easier to uh, maybe convince someone that clinical research is a better option for them if there's no placebo. Uh, so basically the worst case scenario is standard of care. Uh, so I do think oncology will be like a pioneer in this in this space, hopefully. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, Except I think two things. So one, I, I think that oncology will lead the way, um, not necessarily just because it's a dire diagnosis, but because I really find that the patients um, who are given a cancer diagnosis really are extraordinarily altruistic, and they they really do want to help future generations. We, we did a, a survey once where we asked patients, you know, why are you participating in clinical trials? And, you know, one answer was, you know, because I can get the better treatment. Um, and one answer was because I want to help future uh, people down the road. Huh. And the majority of people actually picked the altruistic option. So, you know, whether or not they really felt like they could potentially benefit, I think that um, I think that the cancer diagnosis really does reframe your life. 
um, in, in so many ways. And when you talk to cancer patients, they'll tell you, right? Things shift with that diagnosis. Um, the way you look at the world shifts. What's important shifts. And you get this clarity about life, the universe, and everything, which is one thing that I always found so inspiring talking to my patients is that um, this, this, this just this really inspiring um, kind of view of the world. So that's the first thing. I, I think that uh, oncology likely um, will uh, see more uh, clinical trial accrual than, than other spaces. The other thing, though, with regards to placebo is that remember that even in oncology where there is a placebo control, the only way, the absolute only way you can have a placebo as a control is if that is the standard. In other words, there is no standard treatment. If there was a standard treatment, then no IRB would allow a placebo because that is less than standard. So even in placebo-controlled trials, the placebo is because normally we don't have a standard. Normally we would not do anything or we don't have an answer, right? That is the only way that a placebo could ever be a control. And I think that when patients understand that, because I agree with you, I think that a lot of patients really worry about placebo. Like, what do you mean? I'm not being treated. But if the answer would be, normally, we wouldn't treat you anyways, because we don't really have a treatment, or we don't know that our treatments are any good, um, then I think that people kind of get it. Or the other way that placebos can be uh, in clinical trials is, you know, for, for centuries we've been giving people drug X, but that has so many side effects and problems with it, and we're not really sure that it does any good. And so, you know, we're, the, the option is to do nothing. And so, but people really need to understand that in all trials, the only way a trial will ever pass the IRB is if we are comparing standard of care or what we would accept as standard of care to what we think is better. Nobody would ever allow you to compare what we think is, is standard to nothing or what we think is standard to what we think is worse. Yeah, no, I think that's a good a summary of that. And there's, you know, there's so many moving parts when we're talking about increasing minority participation and diversity in clinical research. I mean, we can spend hours on this, but I appreciate Dr. Chakbar. I appreciate your time very much. Uh, and uh, we will have the links to the show notes underneath. Any other uh, items you want to discuss before we wrap up? No, I think that's great. Again, if you want to hear it from the horse's mouth uh, as to how minority patients think about clinical trials, tune in August 15th at noon, Eastern Daylight. All right. We'll have the links in the show notes. Thank you very much, Dr. Chagpar. Thank you, everybody, for watching and listening, and we'll catch you all later. Bye-bye. So, hey, everybody, thank you very much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you leave a review if you could be so kind, please. Uh, and also go to the clinicaltrialsguru.com if you're interested in learning more about 
who I am, who some of my guests are. Uh, you can have access to some of my YouTube videos. Uh, I do a lot of videos about clinical research. So go to theclinicaltrialsguru.com and you can also call or text me anytime, 949-415-6256. Also follow me on any social media platform. It's Dan Svera. And you can also email me if you'd like, dan at theclinicaltrialsguru.com. Thank you very much.